0: Plastic is not the problem. We have demonized plastic and made it out to be this awful material that never should be used, and for that matter, even created. But is that really the case? Is plastic the problem? Or our linear economy, which has us producing things and then just throwing them away at the end, releasing all sorts of very useful resources just out into the environment, not to be used again? So I tracked down Connor Bryant, CEO of The Rubbish Project, to answer this very question. He's an expert on circular economy solutions. And so, to not waste any more time, Connor, do you mind telling us a little bit more about The Rubbish Project and what you do? You are here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity.
1: My name's Connor, I'm CEO The Rubbish Project. And The Rubbish Project is a Belgian-based, although operating across Europe and internationally, organization that's set up to help large companies transition from a linear model of consuming products to a circular model, specifically focusing on the world's biggest producers and consumers of disposable products and packaging. As The Rubbish Project, we've actually formed a partnership with Hutamaki, who are a giant international packaging company, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in the world, who produce packaging for countless household names. And a lot, you know, their packaging is is disposable packaging. You know, a lot of it single use disposable packaging. And we are trying to help them transition from a model where this packaging goes to landfill or incineration to a model where when their packaging is disposed of, it is captured, the materials are recovered and they're turned into new packaging. In a sense, we're trying to help them to transition to that circular system, and of course, packaging and has come you know more into the news recently with people focusing on plastic as being a, you know a real issue. And while there are some problems with plastic and and how we use it, the public are you know in, in many cases a bit misinformed about you know plastic being all evil and all we need to do is is just switch to another material and, and problem solved. And of course. The reality isn't quite that simple. But what they have identified is there is a real problem with our wasteful linear system and the way that we are consuming products. And that problem needs to change, and it needs to change fast. And it actually links in to all of the other environmental issues. And again, you know, one of the things with the sort of public conscience is that the world is actually under quite a few grave environmental threats. Climate change is the one that everyone is now thank God, finally talking about. Um, but it is not the only grave threat that we face. In fact, what sums us up best is, I mean, David Attenborough was recently involved in a documentary called Breaking Boundaries. And it identifies that there are actually nine areas in which humanity is playing very close to the edge and putting ourselves in serious danger, of which climate change our, as a result of carbon emissions is only one. What's interesting about that is that Actually, when, when you get to the end of the documentary, one of the closing sort of statements of David Atterbury is that switching to a circular economy model for our society tackles every single one of the major threats uh, facing our planet, including climate change. I see what we're doing as the sort of fundamental behind all sustainability, because the circular economy is the only way that humans can sustainably consume resources and therefore sustainably live on this planet so it fits into all of these other core environmental issues but it starts with a really basic tenant of that we need to keep the resources that we're using permanently in a cycle and this tenant is copying nature it's natural systems have existed for billions of years the water cycle the cycle of life and death these cycles are self-regenerating and so that's why they can go on forever and so you know that is transition we are trying to help make and yeah we are doing we're helping packaging companies to make this transition through a kind of two-part offering we provide a bit of tracking software that links up to our rubbish tracker dashboard with this we track products throughout their whole life cycle so let's say starting from the manufacturer hutamaki we're working with we will track their products to who they We're actually also tracking the material that's supplied to them and and where that comes from and then what products it makes. But starting from the manufacturer, we will track their products out onto, okay, well, this went through this distributor, but then it was consumed here. And so then we build a map of this is where all of your products are consumed. But then, of course, we also offer through our platform a consultancy service to those venues, events, football stadiums clubs, bars, hotels, businesses, manufacturing facilities. We offer them the consultancy that helps them, one, identify that they are using the right selection of products and whether they could make changes as to which products they should use to improve their recycling. Two, how to better capture and recycle the free. And three, how to have that material feed back into our system so that we can identify, oh, this has been recovered and ensure that it goes to a recycler that can reprocess it. So as I say, it's sort of two part, and obviously while providing this consultancy, we are setting up the system for the capturing of the data, basically. So we want to create a process that is constantly monitoring itself so that our customers, both the producers of the product, but also the consumers of the product, have a portal where they can see, okay, this is the life cycle my products took before they got to me, i.e. the materials that we used to make them, who made them, where they were made, the carbon associated with the production and their journey. And this is how many of them I used, and this is what happened to them, and how many of them were recovered in the recycling process thereafter. And so it's empowering people through giving them both the consultancy to understand how they can redesign their system to enable this and, you know, make the right packaging choices, material choices, recycling choices, and also giving them the tools in terms of the digital infrastructure. We do also provide the physical infrastructure, but we provide that through local partners. So if we're in Germany, we'll work with a local German waste manager and German providers because that is most efficient. Um, But of course
0: our, Software is is scalable. We can apply that in any region. That, That was great. So you're really trying to help companies have a circular economy. And in order to do that, you've created a software package that they can plug into and say, okay, this is exactly what's happening to my entire product all along the entire life cycle. And then not only that, but you have circularized that as well, where you're able to say, okay, now how do we make this product, not only track it and see what's happening and make a feedback loop on all the data that we're collecting, but also say like, okay, what can we do with it to make it circular, to make it more of a circular economy that can be sustainable so that's yeah. very impressive thank you
1: well and also you know it, it all comes from the looking at the future and reframing how we see waste or rubbish hence the name the rubbish project okay is that rubbish is an odd thing and the concept of waste as we currently have it is it, quite a strange thing because if i asked you to build a tank mm-hmm. would you find it easier to build a tank from a bunch of old tank components or if I said, here you go, here's the natural world, build a tank, right? You would find it a lot less effort to make your product from the products that contain all of the resources required to make your product than to go out and try and extract all of the different minerals, metals, and other materials required to make your product, to refine them, process them, and turn them into physical thing. But strangely, as a society, we're in an economic system where currently we've made it cheaper through bad system design to use virgin materials than to use recycled materials. But of course, that doesn't actually make any sense at all as uh, you know illustrated with the the tank analogy right and so when you reframe rubbish and waste and when instead of looking at as a something that we need to get rid of and just as all of the resources required to make the next iteration of that product then the question becomes not how do we get rid of this, which is where everyone goes down the line when they're sort of looking for, they, everyone loves biodegradability because they like the idea that we can keep throwing our waste in the oceans and it will just disappear. And of course, you know, I don't think we should be letting our waste to just, dis, you know, it doesn't matter if the waste disappears, it's still wasteful to have created a product and to then not properly valued that resource. So as I say, if, if you look at these things as valuable resources then the question becomes not how do we get rid of them but how do we identify where they are and get them back into the systems that we need them and this obviously fits alongside another innovation that's happening at the moment which is technology and the way we are using technology to track our activities now obviously some people see this as you know, having having some rather sort of negative things, and of course with Facebook's, inf- uh, you know, Facebook and others as influence on things like politics, there is definitely a, a downside to be wary of. But the age old adage of the the more you know about the problem, the the better you are going to be able to solve it. I think always rings true, and and you know, it rings very much true in this case. The more data you have around what's happening to our materials, where they're going, the better we can redesign this system to be much more efficient and go. Okay, well. We've got a bunch of aluminium there and these guys need aluminium. We've got a bunch of plastic here and these guys need plastic. And that's the world that, well, it's the world that we will inevitably move towards because of technological progression, but also because it's again with the, with the circular economy, there is no other sustainable way to consume finite resources. We, ha- we only have so much stuff and we can only go on burning and burying that stuff for so long before we run out of stuff. So, you know, in some ways I see this transition as inevitable. The only question is when? And the answer is that we need to do it now. In fact, we're already into the fact that, you know, this not doing this is damaging the planet irreparably and and we need to stem that tide of destruction and and reverse it and live regeneratively in in
0: harmony with nature and the natural world. You mentioned how we need to look at trash as not just something to get rid of, but something that can be a resource in itself, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's not just, you know, oh I have this plastic and those and make it biodegradable so that I can just continue throwing things away all the time because when you create that package you have to go through the process of using energy and creating these processes to create those biodegradables. So it's not just like, okay, we can just continue throwing things away. Like we do need to figure out like how can we make it so that we can have that sustainable and circular economy to come back so that we're not just recreating the same materials over and over and over again exactly
1: exactly and of course you know it's the extraction of materials from our environment that is also so destructive it's you know mining drilling for oil um chopping down rainforests both for the wood and for the clearing it for the sort of land all of these things are done in the pursuit of resources that we already have in our system and we're throwing away so that's you know pretty pretty criminal to be destroying our natural life support systems in you know in pursuit of of materials that that in some ways we already own and frivolous and and, and short-sighted too. But one of the other things I think is interesting about the Rubbish Project, and I think that it's something that we don't often get to communicate, so maybe it's a good opportunity, is that we are about transitioning to the circular economy. And the circular economy has has a hierarchy within it. One of the top things, well, actually there's, you know, rethink, uh, reduce and rethink, which would be the top two. But under that, there's reuse, okay? And a lot of reusable products have, have hit the market out there, which is great. We like reusable products. But there's this slight danger at the moment, which again, a bit like the simplistic plastics is bad argument, which is true in some senses, but not universally. The idea that reusables are a silver bullet that work as the best environmental solution in all circumstances is well, not true, and, and proven by data. You know, it's again, I'm, I'm not driven by emotion. I just look at what we we can prove and, uh, <laughs> and and follow that. So that's one of the you know one of the challenges that we face is there's this perception that there is only one environmental solution that you know the public have latched onto. You know, which again is is largely good. We do need much more reusable systems, but again, it is not a one size fits all thing. And the other side is that, and so to to add to that, okay, well, what are the other options if you're not having a reusable system. Well, the thing is is that whether a product is single use or multi-use, okay, the goal is the same in a circular economy. We need to keep the material resource in cycle, ideally infinitely. And then in doing so, we need to do that at the lowest energy per use and the lowest chance for waste per use thats the is that that is what matters This is the use case so in some use cases a reusable product take a reusable cup will have a lower energy per use and a lower waste per use in this infinite system so that is the best product to use but in other scenarios take quick service retail mcdonald's and you know takeaway foods having a reusable system doesn't doesn't actually produce less energy and less waste because the reusable products are more durable, so there more energy has gone into creating them, more materials, and because of the challenges of getting seven billion people to culturally change towards a system in which they return everything to an internationally distributed supply chain, the threshold for reuse is never met to meet the carbon requirements, so it is not as efficient. So in that scenario, what is better is to have a disposable product that can be captured and recycled. And obviously that's just sort of one example, but what we as the Rubbish Project are sort of focusing on and why that's sort of relevant is that recycling is the bedrock of the circular economy. Although reuse is is above and then obviously we've got repair and and, and so on is that at the end of the day, once a product has been reused for every product that is reused, has to be made of stuff and it will eventually go to waste. And the same is true for anything we repair, okay? We have to repair it with materials and eventually it will be unrepairable in its current functional form, so it will need to be recycled. So with the hierarchy, everything filters down to recycling. So whether a product is single or multi-use, we need to have the systems for recovering that material and reprocessing it back into new products. So that is the aim of the rubbish project. We will work with both disposable and reusable products in order to help them turn into a truly circular system by supporting the bedrock of the circular economy, which is the recovery of this material. And we will recommend disposables or reusables, depending on which is the best use case scenario. That is our, our approach, because that sticks most truly to the, to the fundamentals of, of the circular economy. But we have a focus on disposable packaging. And people often wonder why we're not, given that we're an eco-organisation focusing on reusables. Well, one, there are lots of reusable companies. And two, the bigger waste problem is in disposables. You well, know, we can help recycle reusables and build and improve the systems there, more waste comes out of the disposable systems, and we are about tackling the biggest waste issue. We want to stop the largest amount of rubbish first, which is why we've gone for the world's most highly consumed disposable products that are consumed in their hundreds of billions like paper coffee cups
0: wow yeah definitely you hit on a lot of great points about how there is a need to not just have this one track mind or this one one thought of this one solution is going to be the best solution right it's really under which situation does these certain solutions make sense. So it doesn't make sense to have the disposable product versus the reusable product, especially with McDonald's where you're not going to change the behavior of that many people to not, oh, I just want to throw this away after I'm done with it. That's going to keep happening. And even if you make it reusable, people aren't going to reuse it. So you have to really consider human behavior in your process rather than just saying like, oh, reusable is better all the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. The world is a complicated pace. There are different use case scenarios, and then the factors that change those use case scenarios also vary from culture to circumstance and setting. It's a complicated game. So imagining that there will be a, a sort of single fix-all sort of solution is naive. Now, in some ways, people might come back to me and say, Well, you're saying that the circular economy is the single fix-all solution. And well, in some ways, yes, I am, but it's different because it's the circular economy is a catch-all of a logic in terms of how you approach something there are actually many different ways of achieving the ultimate goal it sets out a framework for the ultimate goal it's not saying this is the one way that this can be achieved because that is not true. I mean, again, with with the hierarchy, it has a clear division of there are different ways of achieving this and and so on. Whereas, you know, I think that again, singling down saying, for example, we can make every product reusable and that would just solve our problems, is again, it's just two silver bullets. Is the same as saying we can just ban plastic and solve our problems and it's just you know the, unfortunately the problem isn't just not that simple
0: It never is.
1: <laughs> yeah well the, the context is always interesting right is that when you look at things for a certain context so plastic bag and paper bag in the ocean right it is clear that the paper bag is a it's better to have a paper bag than a plastic bag right and that is how people are making the decision on which material is better I would argue that neither should end up in the ocean, and therefore that scenario is an irrelevant scenario. We should never be putting our waste in the sea, regardless of whether it disappears or not. So we shouldn't be making comparisons about which will disappear more in the ocean because it doesn't matter. They should never end up there. So, what is better on land? Well, the plastic bag, interestingly, the disposable plastic bag that was recently sort of demonized, and again, because of the way we currently used it, was, was invented by a scientist who was. Who invented it to to try and solve the problem of disposable paper bags? And he made a bag that was specifically designed to be incredibly low energy to make and incredibly resource efficient. I mean, if you think about the disposable plastic bags we used to have, you could scrunch those up into a, a sort of pea-sized ball in your hand. You could fold it into the tiny little pocket in your trousers and carry it around you. It was incredibly resource efficient. Okay, and low energy using a very small amount of material and uh, you know very efficient banks it was very low energy to produce in fact it takes four times on average four times less energy to produce one of those disposable plastic bags versus a disposable paper one so off of the bat of it just on production four times more climate change because energy production generally correlates with carbon at the moment for a paper bag so on land, not looking so good for paper, then we keep going, right? Well, a paper bag is generally six times heavier than a plastic bag. So if it's going in a lorry and that lorry is gonna consume more fuel because it's it's carrying a heavier product. On top of that, the paper bag is actually 10 times bulkier. Okay? What that means is one lorry of plastic bags is the same as 10 lorries of paper bags. Now, if you were a supermarket and you were thinking, God, what's the most environmentally friendly bags I should, should use? Would you think that it would be more environmentally friendly to go, hey, I'll go for the bag that has four times as much carbon emissions for production would be delivered in 10 trucks that way. No, of course you would. So the problem is, is that these environmental issues have been sort of framed by. Populist public perception that the issue is our waste in the oceans, and it's sort of you know taken away from the real sort of scientific debate of okay, well, like how does this actually stack up when we measure these things? (laughs) And of course, I understand that science is complicated. We can't expect everyone to engage with a really complex, nuanced topic. There are thousands of different materials, complex, multi-layer things. So in a way, actually, I'm not expecting them to engage and understand that as businesses and as organizations and as governments we need to control our messaging and focus more on the circular economy and the idea of making our own our old products out of our old products is very intuitive people you know instantly understand that that is an environmentally friendly thing to do so we don't need people to understand very complicated things we need them to get to them to understand a very simple thing
0: yeah definitely it's just the idea that the what we're using needs to have a way of circularizing that process and whatever whatever way that is so we just need them to understand that the circular economy will allow for us to be the most sustainable in the end versus plastic is bad or this is bad or we need to attack this like just we need to create a way to become sustainable whichever choice that is and that people need to trust that that the governments or companies are going forward in trying to figure out which is the best and most sustainable for that use case. So this has been really great, learned so much from, from what you have to say and so just asking a little bit about social media where do you see (laughs) where do you see the rubbish project like what are your goals for social media
1: okay so i mean interesting obviously we're a b2b business so the services that we offer are 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 sold to other businesses and therefore on, on that perspective the most interesting platform for us for marketing is is linkedin linkedin isn't actually great for individual companies market it's all right but it's it's much better for personality. So actually our social media approach through LinkedIn is actually led through me. Or well, <laughs> I have a team of uh, people that help me manage this, but as my face, I am the you know the face and the communicator of the company because people engage more interacting with a person than they do with an organization on LinkedIn. It's just one of the factors of the platform. But of course, you know it allows us to funnel attention towards what we're doing. The other thing that, that we see as a sort of valuable tool is kind of waking people up to the sort of the bad decisions that people are making out there that are, again, followed by we have a big one. This is choose science, not populism, because... Lots of businesses are making decisions that they think will be popular with the public, which are clearly, by any sort of, you know, like, are very clearly proven to be unenvironmentally friendly. I mean, one airline, I won't name and shame them, but one airline in America switched from plastic bottles to Tetra Pak and was celebrating switching to boxed water. Um, going from a recyclable mono material that can be made out of 100% recycled material to a virgin multi layered material that can't be recycled is not an improvement. It is a dramatic step in the opposite direction, entirely done because you think the public will demonize plastic. Because the only reason they're doing environmentally active things is so that they can tell a better story online. And so greenwashing is, is so sort of present that it, it gives us an opportunity to, to kind of call it out, but also to be honest, to engage with it, to understand why people are making those decisions and why people are choosing that, and to understand the narrative that's driving it so that we can create a different narrative. Because I think one of the key roles that we're trying to put across on social media when we're engaging with the public and with the businesses that we're interacting with is we're trying to get people to really understand the circular economy. But also in the very basic sense of intuitively understanding that what we need is systems that can infinitely feed back into themselves. In the same way, it fits with the word sustainable. Circular economy is almost the definition of sustainable. It is something that can continue to self-sustain itself. And so that communication, we're sort of, we're really keen on, and getting people to understand that disposable products have a role within that. And that's also where. We kind of move on to, you know, we have an Instagram account and and communicate through this. And this isn't communication that really goes out to the businesses that we're working with this. This is direct to consumer. And this is us seeing our role as educators to try and help expand knowledge about the circular economy. and. There are lots of things that people with a very superficial understanding of a topic weighed in on. They highlight the sort of headline thing, but actually, is that you know when you think about these things more deeply, often there's actually something more interesting under the surface. I mean, one of the big examples I give is that everyone is obsessed with electric cars, which are great, but actually, the production of our roads produces more carbon than the cars that drive on them. And no one is talking about decarbonizing roads. So we have these sexy issues that people talk about, and we try really, really hard to get better and better at those. And we ignore these massive issues that we could easily solve with a bit more attention if we refamed them and realized for what they were an, an opportunity for big success. And so that's part of what we try and do. Um, we try and highlight these kind of things ex- and also these, you know, slightly nuanced point of views. You know, lots of people are out there championing the plastic is bad mantra and of course we have to challenge that with the more nuanced. plastic is bad in the way that we are currently using it but plastic as a material is not bad um our linear system is bad and uh, it's it's much worse than just one
0: material definitely so you you can see social media as you know on linkedin it's it's one way but then on other platforms it's another way as in you know you have educational content that you're really targeting to the end consumer. That's not really part of your customer base, but it's more of like, they need to know too, because they're influencing the businesses that you work with and that you are trying to convince and they're, you know, they make their decisions based on the customer. So you really need to, to have both sides the, the yeah. customer focused education. And then also the client base being able to say like, Hey, we can solve these problems that you're looking to solve.
1: Well, and a big part of it is that, you know, we are we are authentic environmentalists you know, it doesn't matter how far you look into me, I'm as, as green as they come. And same is true for our organization. You know, we're mission driven. We're doing this for a purpose. We are not a large corporation that is just driven by balance, but we set this up as a mission driven sort of company. So we have a lot of credibility from that side. And therefore, we are the right people to put out the communications around what we're saying. Because we genuinely believe it, and we have the science to back it up. But of course, it's the same communication that large organizations. Say you're a large fast food chain, okay? you actually do need to be communicating to people. Actually, there is a way to use our packaging sustainably. Um, and we're going to collect and recycle it and do it in this way. But of course, it's easy to look at one of these large companies that have been doing bad things for a very long time and say, "Oh uh, well, you're still just trying to do a bad thing. That's another bad thing. right?" So, of course, the the more the communication around what is good and what is bad can come from people that are genuinely and authentically trying to find solutions and not looking to support large companies unless they are doing the right thing. Then that is powerful. It's it's powerful for the companies that we work with as well, because, again, you know, it means that that the messaging that they might want to put out is, is more powerfully presented through us and so i think that that is another role that we play is that we are the sort of consumer facing side of these positive and sort of you know environmental schemes so instead of a large organization with a potentially tarnished reputation saying hey we're setting up this recycling system to do better in our football stadium coffee shop or fast food restaurants they say hey we've partnered with the rubbish project to do this and of course that lends them more credibility and it also puts the power in our hands to force them to do (laughs) the most progressive you know environmentally friendly things possible but also to give them the value of it you know at the end of the day is that it's easy to see large companies as evil but at the end of the day we have an economic system where they i mean especially publicly traded companies you know they have to prioritize profit so they in order to do environmentally friendly things, we need to show them how this supports their business case. And it does. I mean, as I said, you know, the long term logic of actually resources will become easier to recover once we have more efficient recycling systems. But, you know, in the short term, there is a clear benefit to communicating to your consumers that you are planet positive as opposed to destroying our collective home. And you know, we want companies to realize that value because, of course, that's what drives them to do more and more positive things. And one of the other things that I always think is interesting is there's a certain sort of hesitancy or or sort of thing around certain environmentalists to engage with large companies that have had a bad track record. But of course, the way we view it is that they are the people that need the most help to change. And if they are willing to work to change, then it is our responsibility to help them change. Not we're not going for, I can convince my other eco friends to do eco things, but if I can convince a giant non not very eco company to do eco things the impact is much larger so uh, of course that's we will work with anyone but we will only work with them to do something planet positive
0: definitely that's awesome great now for the last question here what is one way that somebody if they're interested in working with you or if they were interested in learning more about the rubbish project and how they can get involved and how they can help out how how should they reach out to you
1: Okay. Okay. Good. Good question. Um, well, of course, I mean, having, having a poke around our, our website is, 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 you know, is always a good start. There's actually quite a lot of work. That's about to go. It's, 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 it's got an upgrade that, that's coming soon. So maybe, maybe wait, maybe wait a month or two and then there'll be a much more, much more resources on there. In fact, one of the things that we are doing is we are, we'll be hosting a kind of, online resource hub that will explain even more about what we do but also our sort of general thoughts on the circular economy and other environmental issues and opportunities and challenges and ways that businesses can see this as as an opportunity and a a way to lead as opposed to as a threat Um, because it really is you know at the end of the day this this is a transition that will happen and there will be those that lead us into the transition and there, there will be those that follow and it will be more painful for those that follow because they will be dogged by the pub and legislation anyway I've, I've got a bit off track what you're saying is for people to engage with the rubbish project re- reach out through our website or reach out to me through linkedin again i'm actually following us or myself on linkedin is a really good start that's where we, we post most regularly so you'll see the sort of you know most active content and have a look at our instagram because we've got a new campaign that we will be launching uh there in over the next uh, month or so trying to get people to to understand what the linear economy is and therefore why the circular economy is better.
0: Awesome. Well, great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact podcast. We hope you enjoyed receiving another dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on the Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of top minds in the green industries. And if you're interested in seeing the faces of the people in these podcasts or receiving free business training specifically geared to green businesses, make sure you check out our YouTube channel and subscribe. Thanks again and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of climate positivity.